Hello and welcome to the Radical Reformers podcast. I'm Andrew Laird. This podcast is for people who want to understand what it really takes to make a positive impact in public services. It features leaders from councils, the NHS, central government, charities and social enterprises, as well as think tanks and social investors. This is about policy and the implementation of policy and the grit and determination it takes to run successful public services. It's not about politics. Politics does not feature at all and the discussions are all the better for it. It's also about the stories and personal journeys of the leaders I speak to, the challenges they faced and the lessons they've learned. Running and reforming public services is incredibly difficult and I'm very grateful to these inspiring leaders for taking the time to share with others. So before we get into it, I just want to take a second to thank my friends and colleagues at Mutual Ventures for supporting me to do this podcast. My day job at Mutual Ventures is about supporting public services to be better, more sustainable and more connected to communities. This means working with central government departments to help them build bridges between policy development and local implementation. It means working with councils to help them plan for the future. And it also means working with NHS trusts to help them find their place in the new health and care system. So I hope you enjoy this podcast and that you get as much from it as I have. And don't forget to subscribe on the website or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter to make sure that you never miss a future episode. And you might even want to go back and listen to some of the older ones. So this episode is with Kitty Kelly. Kitty is the Deputy Chief Executive at East Ayrshire Council. And I'm ashamed to say this is the first time I've spoken to somebody from a Scottish council. And with a name like Andrew Laird, you would think I would be doing better than that. But there we have it. But I like to think that we've made up for it. This is an amazing conversation. Kitty is a truly inspirational leader and we need many more people like Kitty within local government circles. So what do we discuss? We discuss community engagement and community power. East Ayrshire is really leading the way on this front and it's got a very mature advanced model in terms of community engagement and also transferring assets to communities and we get into some detail as to how that has worked because there is a trend uh, to do that sort of thing in England at the minute and there's a lot of lessons that can be learned from here. We also talk about how East Ayrshire engages with the third sector in terms of delivering services and I know they've got a really rich tapestry of third sector providers and Katie explains how that works and how they support local delivery of services. We also talk about devolution. There's obviously national devolution to Scotland but what does further devolution look like there in terms of councils? So we get into some of that. And finally, Katie is a high-level former sports coach and sports player herself, and we talk about how she's brought the lessons that she learned through that experience to bear as she leads her teams within the council. Just a note before we start, this conversation is largely around Katie's experiences at East Ayrshire Council. Shortly after recording, Katie announced that she was leaving the council, so we will definitely watch very closely what Katie does next. So let's start the conversation. Katie, a huge welcome onto the podcast. Um, I'm really ashamed to say, actually, that this is my first 
interview on the podcast with um, somebody from a Scottish council. So I'm absolutely thrilled that you're here. Um, for the benefit of those who don't know you, would you mind just saying a little bit about who you are? Thanks very much, Andrew. And I'm delighted that your introduction to Scotland is coming straight to East Ayrshire, <laughs> to the west coast of Scotland. Fantastic. So, no, my name's Katie Kelly. I'm the Deputy Chief Executive at East Ayrshire Council um, on the west coast of Scotland, a population of 120,000. Um, and it's just an incredible place where there's former mining communities and a whole range of things. The, probably the best thing about our place is our people. So, um, yeah. you know, I have the, the remit here and I've worked in public service in Ayrshire for over 30 years. So you've been in Ayrshire for that length of time. Has it always been in the council or have you worked in, in other parts of the system? So I started my, my, my kind of employment journey when I graduated back in the late 80s and I spent a couple of years working in Glasgow, um, working with people with additional support needs, working in Lennox Castle Hospital, which was a place, um, a mental health hospital, and also doing some work um, across schools around sports and arts therapy. And so that was project based at the time. It was Urban Aid. It was one of the kind of government schemes that was around at the time. And I really cut my teeth in, in the communities of Glasgow, which I love so much. And then I got a great opportunity to move to Ayrshire to to take up the role of Sports Development Officer with Kilmarnock and Loudoun District Council. And so that was my first job back in 92. And really the rest is history. um, Kilmarnock and Loudoun became part of East Ayrshire Council in 1996 as part of local government reorganisation. And I've had a range of roles with the council from, you know, starting off as the, the Sports Development Officer who took the money at the tea dances and danced with older people and delivered wages to caretakers on a Friday. I was the most popular person um, to <laughs> the deputy chief executive. And, and I've had loads of roles in between around health improvement and around innovation and transformation. And I took two years as a secondment to work with NHS here, Shirinar, and um, mm. bringing together the partnership services in advance of community health partnerships taking place. Um, across Ayrshire. So that was a fantastic learning opportunity to me about understanding um, healthcare systems and how the interface of cross public services, you know, w- would work together to serve people. So, yeah, yeah, a whole range of jobs, but mostly around in and around Ayrshire. In and around Ayrshire, but also very embedded within communities. You know, you've obviously risen to Deputy Chief Executive now, but the background that you've described there is very community community based and i will come on to ask you about that within ayrshire but just from your own experience was that important to you to have that background and that grounding within communities absolutely for me working as a public service public servant the clues in the name for me it's about serving communities and serving local people and so for me it doesn't matter what job i have or what portfolio i have ultimately if i didn't have a community to serve i wouldn't have a job So I'm absolutely there for the people that I serve in every aspect of what I do. Now, today it might be around roads and housing and community wealth building and and economic development, but it's still absolutely about serving people where they live in the local locality, but also supporting local businesses so that that economy is there to support them. And I think that's the premise. That's probably my absolute value basis around service and Probably that's because my dad was in the Royal Navy and my mum was a midwife and worked in NHS. Yeah. So we grew up in a, a household where it was very much about service and servant leadership. Yeah. And then the other thing that you mentioned there was quite a heavy involvement with sport 
and encouraging sport and physical activity. Can you say a little bit about that? Because that's a really interesting angle these days when people are thinking about public health and, you know, trying to keep people healthy and encourage people to be active. Yeah, absolutely. So my my first degree was a BA degree in sports in the community at Strathclyde Uni. And it was one of the first degrees of its kind where it combined sport with actually working and engaging with communities and using the sport as a medium to develop people. It wasn't just about high level performance, but it was about using sport as a medium to reduce crime and antisocial behaviour and really improve people's health and well-being. And so a lot of that early work I did was using that approach. And, you know, for me, sport also taught me, you know, I was quite a high level coach and performer for quite a long time. I had a bad knee injury, so I got much more into coaching. And that coaching really informed my leadership. That wasn't about me being the star player, but it was about bringing a team yeah. together and looking at the best positions and their skills and talents, the best formation, and then that team coming together to deliver a brilliant result. And those those um, those things are still with me now. And I'm really we've embedded coaching in an executive sense, neighbourhood coaching, um, that whole principle of working alongside people for, to be their best in their community and as an employer. It's still with me now. I've brought that all the yeah. way through. So, so, yeah, it's been brilliant. What sport were you involved in? I was involved in netball. I, I played really? loads of different sports and I coached in America for a wee while. I was one of the, I learned to be a soccer coach. I was one of the first female soccer coaches in, wow. in, in Scotland. So I did a whole range of things and I loved sailing as well. So I was really, really always into sport. And I suppose it was as a performer. And, you know, a performer, you know, you're focusing yourself a lot of the time and the team. Yeah. But when I got an injury, I realised it wasn't about me. It was about actually what sport could do in a, in a way that would help people to, to feel well. And we did some amazing things in East Ayrshire that still last now that we you know, implemented a brilliant uh, team called New Sport and Futures that are now part of Vibrant Communities that have brought on so many young people, um, mentored them, and then many of them, those young people that I knew from probably four or five, six, seven years of age, are now employees with us full-time, yeah. and they're, they're now inspiring other young people. So sports, physical activity, and well-being has probably always been at the heart of what I've been doing, and we've been very imaginative in East Ayrshire about how we would use that in a sense. We've got brilliant football teams as well, and football teams, which are kind of actually adults play for them, and they, they, they're smaller teams, but they take on big teams in the Premier League and often often win David and Goliath style. So we've got yeah. a really history of great sport in East Ayrshire and we celebrate that. Fantastic. So you're the Deputy Chief Executive of East Ayrshire Council. Can you describe what that role entails, if it's possible? <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's a great big role, and I, I remember, you know, I, I didn't in my career set out to climb the slippery ladder or on any of those things. I've always been ambition, ambitious for the people we serve and the influence I could have over that. And I know that sounds like a kind of humble answer, and but I really mean it. You know, yeah. actually, when I got the post of it, it was five years ago, nearly in May, that I got this post. I couldn't quite believe it myself that I'd got it, and and I, I was kind of a wee bit of the imposter syndrome. But the, the role itself is a really wide, far-reaching role. It's got a portfolio of services um, that oversees, so, but it's all the frontline things that I absolutely love. So we've got communities and vibrant communities, and you'll hear more about that later. Mm. Housing stock, over 12,500 houses. We empty the bins of 57,000 households. Um, we have parks, beautiful parks in our greener community section, um, and we, 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 you know, lovely Victorian parks that we try to work alongside communities with but also of all of the facilities and properties. Um, so a, a big, big, um, all of our portfolio of facilities and properties are there. 
and then I have um, economic growth. So again, I lead on what's based Ayrshire Growth Deal, which is the Ayrshire Growth Deal. So that's the three councils coming together with our business communities to spend. We're spending about £200 million over the next few years to generate amazing projects. Um, Also lead um, through my teams on net zero, some some really big agendas, community-led regeneration, health and safety. Um, And also recently I've taken over my new role, the the head of road service. So we've got Ayrshire Roads Roads Alliance, which we manage the road services for South Ayrshire Council. But and roads sound a bit boring, but do you know what? They're absolutely so important in getting people to and from work and play and training. And we've got an amazing road service that work with communities around resilience and they're very vibrant as well in how they do things. So a big portfolio of services with some brilliant leaders, but I also have quite a big role in terms of transformation in the organisation and have throughout my career and trying to also really influence things nationally and showcase some change around public service reform and help mm. other councils to put that in place, things that have worked well for us. So yeah. it's, it's quite an eclectic thing, but it's all about service. Everything leads back to people at the heart of everything we do. Yeah. So I, I want to get straight into what I think makes East Ayrshire really special, and that is about the, the really mature, advanced level that you've reached to in terms of community engagement and community involvement in public life, in making decisions, in using assets. Can you explain that journey? Yeah, it's been a really exciting journey for us. Do you know, as kind of commonly known as community engagement and and community empowerment, community power, there's all sorts of names for it, but we didn't really have them when we started this journey. Um, Back in around about 2011, um, we, as a council, we knew we were going to have to make major savings. At the time, we were talking about £35 million, which was a really big percentage of our budget. It was maybe about £250 million. And we knew we had to do things differently. And one of the things we decided to look at, and I led on this in, in a previous role, was to say, actually, how well are we serving our communities? What do they think of us? And is there things that we can collaborate on better together? It was as simple as that. Um, and so it was a transformational journey that was involved, really very much informed by engaging deeply with communities at that time and telling us what they thought of us as an organisation. And they, they gave us it on the, the, you know, the solar plexus, you know, we mm. were hard to navigate. Um, there was real time and there was East Ayrshire time. I've kept the post it like <laughs> I wrote that one, you know, Katie, when we want to do something, we're in crisis. Who do we go to? It's very very bureaucratic. So they gave us a lot of feedback. And also communities told us they wanted to do much more for themselves. You know, they didn't. There was an awful big dependency culture. And people talk about those. It's quite. It's not a very nice term. But actually, there's a creation of dependency between the community. And actually, the the state isn't the adult and the community isn't the child. We're all adults together trying to love each other and live our best lives. So... That the power dynamic came up a lot and it was verbalised in different ways. And alongside that engagement work, which took over 18 months, I presented three different reports to Cabinet. One was a, a kind of just a concept paper about what was happening worldwide that we could do differently. And I talked about concepts like participatory budgeting that weren't really being mm-hmm. talked about, but were happening in South America at the time. Also, I talked about um, the work of Cormac Russell and John McKnight around asset-based community development and yeah. how that really was about skills and talents. And our other big influencer at the time was Sir Harry Burns, who was the Chief Medical Officer for Scotland at the time. 
and he really blew me away. He talked about self-determination and people having power over their own lives. And he talked passionately about inequalities in some of the poorer places. And no matter what level of investment you gave, it didn't seem to make a difference. So actually, sometimes investment in the wrong things made inequalities worse in terms yeah. of life expectancy. So his premise was that if people had more control over their own lives and could make good decisions, that they would live happier, healthier and longer. And they had a whole range of brilliant scientific research, yeah. which helped me. And then the last piece of the jigsaw, I suppose, for me at that time, when I was driving forward this work to get the full buy-in and make it not a pilot or a project, but a whole system change, was the Christie Commission. So basically it was a commission set up in Scotland at the time to look at the relationship between public, um, national and, and, and um, public sector, right across the board, national and local, and the communities they serve. And that gave a really strong strategic underpin about communities really having the power to, to, to take over and take control. And that, you know, the, the, us as an enabler, so that word enabler. Yeah. And there was so much more to that commission's findings. It was Campbell Christie and he's He's dead now. He led it and it was innovative and it was amazing. And that Christie Commission results still influences our work today. But all of that coming together, listening, deep listening with our communities, deep listening with our workforce, our cleaners, our directors, our teachers. What did they think of the place they worked for? Yeah. Made us rethink our direction. And in 2013, we developed what we called Vibrant Communities. It wasn't a service or a department. It didn't always use East Ayrshire logo. It was actually just a link between the, the organisation and the people we serve and a blurring of that role. And so that was the beginning of something very special, a really exciting journey where we changed how we deployed our workforce as well and brought together people that we thought could help to make this happen, but moving away from a delivery role to an enabling role. So it was a big change. That vibrant community sounds like an East Ayrshire version of the Wigan deal which I know you're familiar with. And I know that they have different strengths because I think that you are achieving things that I haven't seen anywhere else in terms of that real engagement with communities. Yeah, I mean, Wigan, I would say, are, are like our twin from, from, from England. Yes. So Wigan worked really hard to, to change things um, within their workforce, which we learned greatly from. And also that social contract was really interesting. And we, we started at a different point, but we, we had the same value base, but it was very mm. much about treasuring people's skills and talents and people being positive and bringing their best selves to work and not, you know, people that didn't want to be in the sector, that didn't have the right value base, maybe, you know, didn't have that place. So we had similar values and we've learned from each other over the years. So yeah. absolutely, um, the, you know, the Wigan deal was fascinating to us and they've come to visit us and we've been down to visit them and I've spoken yeah. to conferences and I remain really good friends with Donna, who was Donna Hall, was the chief exec at the time and really she yeah. Me and we, we still are very much in touch. And Kate, who you interviewed before, yeah, Kate Ardern, yeah, Kate and Donna have have both been on the on the podcast. If if anybody wants to go back and listen, um, could you say a little bit more about transferring assets to communities? Because that's something that in recent times has gathered a bit of momentum in England, certainly. But you're way ahead of the game there. So, what do you mean by that? And are there different levels of controlling assets and how does it all work? Absolutely. So from out of vibrant communities came another kind of work stream around transformation where the council had recognised that it had too many assets. It couldn't afford to run them all, all of anymore. And there was two routes to market. One would have been that we would have closed some facilities and one another route that I suggested at the time using the vibrant communities approach. So I think if we hadn't had the platform of vibrant communities, 
we wouldn't have been able to look at you know, you wouldn't instead of calling it asset rationalization, it's maximization. That's what we moved to. So it's music looking at things through a positive lens, a strength-based lens. So in East Ayrshire, we um, Angela from my team, an amazing employee, um, came up with a, an asset strategy, an asset transfer strategy, to work alongside communities to see what we could do around community asset transfer at scale. Because many people have done it, but it would be one or two facilities, and it was very much kind of led by a group coming forward. So we did a full review of the council's assets, and I think we'd have 84 assets that we felt would be suitable for transfer, where we thought communities would make a better job of running them. And we also looked at ones that maybe had passed, they were no longer good assets, so you would never transfer a liability, that was so important. So we set up the policy, and the policy is always great at the start, but we realised as we started to develop that, you know, the policy was about outright disposal, where a community would take something on. And that, that was quite a big thing for communities to take. And a lot of people thought, you know, we were just handing over assets and saving money. So we did it totally differently here. And we have an opportunity through our asset where communities can take on a management agreement. They can run something and we still pay all the costs and we share the any income that comes in 50-50, whether that's 100000 or £2.80. So it doesn't matter, but the, 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 it's really important that it's a 50-50, that's the partnership. Or a community can take on a lease and the, the lease can be anything from a year to 99 years, depending on their level of maturity as an organisation and their confidence in doing it, because mm. it's a big thing for them. Um, and also then communities can move on to outright disposal where they can take the asset away from the council and own it outright themselves. The, the different thing for us is that that ladder of opportunity allowed more communities to engage with this. Yeah. 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 And it takes time and built trust. And so we now have over 60 assets transferred to a community, which is massive. But also we're still in touch with all of them and they're there. We've got the support always for them. And we invested in the facilities, so as part of their application, they would say, well, we could take this on, Katie, but we, we need some investment. We've needed this for a long time. So in some cases, it might be a new boiler that we put in, or another mm. case, we gave tapered revenue funding where we had a golf course to allow the golf course, the community golf course, to, to build itself up. So we did what it took to make a good um, asset transfer that would last and be sustainable. And this work's now been going on since 20, 2013, 2014, and as I say, we've transferred over 60 assets, some as big as a, an old secondary school, which is the biggest asset transfer we think in Britain. But maybe if somebody will listen to this and say we've got a bigger one, but we don't really care. But I mean, and I'll talk about <laughs> sense of stage later on. But for us, it was about, it, you know, the amazing thing isn't about buildings anymore. Communities have done incredible things with these assets. They've built new buildings, they've employed staff, they run cafes. It's been fantastic. That's a fascinating story. And it seems to me that the key to getting people engaged is that sliding scale of ownership and responsibility. Because I think when people, when councils think of asset transfers into communities, it's it's entire disposal or nothing because they kind of want stuff off their books. They want to change. But actually, you've got to have that sliding scale where people have the opportunity. So we're really interested in that. And thank you very much for explaining that. I want to ask you just a little bit about your levelling up funding. So you were one of the I think it was only one out of five councils that applied for funding or bid for funding in round two were successful. You were one of the successful ones. What are you going to do with that funding? 
Well, it's fantastic that we've got it, you know, and, and just back to the previous question, you know, everything's about trust for us, and that, that's probably where yeah. I'm left up, I believe, you know, that you, Cormac Russell would say you move at the speed of trust, and this has been the same thing. So our levelling up investment will go into a really exciting programme called Cultural Kilmarnock, but it's not something that's disembodied from the work we've been leading. So back in 2015, we did a community-led action plan in the town centre and brought together the churches, the one of the local reverends, the minister, the churches, the businesses, the schools, people that lived there, and they developed their own action plan for, for Kilmarnock Town Centre. And this is the next iteration of that work going forward. So Cultural Kilmarnock will look at our Palace Theatre in Grand Hall, which were previously a corn exchange in the 1800s, beautiful big red sandstone buildings. Mm. Um, yeah, corn exchange buildings tend yeah. to be absolutely fabulous. They're stunning. Yeah. Ours, ours became a theatre just in the early 1900s, and we've had some incredible people playing there. I think we had Oliver and Hardy or one or the other back in 1904. But we also had, have you heard of the sweet, the song Ballroom Blitz? I haven't, no. Well, listen, Sorry. that's what people will have done, and that is a famous song that was written about the Grand Hall when they had a wild gig there. So right, we had, right. Calvin yeah. Harris, Proclaimers, all sorts. So part of the resource is going to be in really restoring that space and making it much more accessible and making a real clear link into the town centre where we're doing amazing mm. uh, led, um, kind of community-led regeneration there. We've done a whole range of pieces of work with traders and we've got a gift card in East Ayrshire now that's worked out of there. And we've really transformed the space and there's major investment. So the cultural kind of area will connect to the town centre take away an old underpass that really disconnects it and open the whole area right up for people to use. And we'll yeah. extend in the parkland as well around it because there's some lovely parkland in Kilmarnock to make that whole cultural area beautiful with a pedestrian bridge and connect with the beautiful river that is, you know, yeah. an old one-way system disconnected the people from the beautiful river. So that's going to open up that area. And believe it or not, in Kilmarnock, we're going to have an outdoor amphitheatre that will have wow. 100 50 people that can come along to outdoor concerts and will the weather ever be good enough i don't well do you know <laughs> you, you, you wear a cape i go to the kelvin grove bandstand uh, regularly in glasgow and they have concerts all year round and that's outdoors and it's a fantastic setting and you just get wrapped no, up sure. and put on a, put on you a just get wrapped up show. yeah yeah but so, so basically it's going to make sure that all of those buildings are fit for purpose. They, they are the jewel in our crown in, in terms of heritage, but more importantly, they'll be part of Kilmarnock's amazing regeneration with so many more facets. So I'm bringing down the old multi-storey car park and we're opening mm. that space up and we're really listening to the people we serve in our businesses. They, they recently won a great big award, the Visa Awards for Town Centre Regeneration, and it's not East Ayrshire Council, it's us collaborating that's making yeah. this so Watch this space, Andrew. It's going to be incredible. It, it really sounds like I, I don't think I've ever heard anybody talk with as much enthusiasm and and real real passion for their local area as you have on the podcast. But I mean, there is there is a flip side to any council, isn't there? And there there are challenges, and I feel like I have to ask you about some of those as well, just to to, to give a balance. Yeah, the, the challenges are, I suppose, the same for any public sector, and, and, and that's diminishing budgets. You know, we don't have the same resource that we've had over the years, and the, the budgets allocated to us have been going down year on year. And also we're facing major, major challenges around cost of living, coming straight out of COVID, where people 
looked after each other and needed us most and um, the cost of living is bringing new challenges that you know really mm. I would not have expected to have seen in the 21st century so the big dilemma for public service and for East Ayrshire like any other council is trying to see how we manage demand without dependency how we maximise collaboration and partnerships with our communities and anybody that wants to work with us um, to, try and, to try and say that this, we own these issues together we own the successes together but we also own the challenges. And so how do we stand side by side to face those? So there's poverty here and child poverty is really, really challenging. But local people really struggling to pay bills in this climate that we have is, is in people that would be in the margins of that that we previously hadn't been. So we've got a lot of healing to do post-COVID um, and we've got a lot of things that we need to address. We need to not pretend it didn't happen. I think we need yeah. to learn like you would from Hurricane Katrina or any other major disaster, what did we learn from that? Do we go back to doing what we did? And I suppose sometimes organisations can be bureaucratic. I'm really not into hierarchies, even though my job title would suggest otherwise. I think never has there been more of a time for us to work side by side and collectively rather yeah. than working in a hierarchical or a permission-focused way. So, yeah, major... And, major, and major you, just, yeah, and are you finding because of... East Ayrshire's history of engaging with communities and letting communities take or supporting communities to take more more of a upfront seat in driving the direction of the local area. Are, are, are you seeing any any dividend from that when times get tough? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the currency that we have communities is outstanding. Mm. I think what we recognise now as an organisation is it's not about us. It's our job's absolutely enabling. It's about going alongside. So our response to COVID, the community's led every bit of it. We enabled that response. And, you know, you'll hear that right across Britain. But actually, you know, within 40 hours, I think we had over 60, 70 groups had stepped up with, you know, with just a day to lockdown. And we had grants in their, their, their banks within 24 hours. If they wow. needed a vehicle, they got the vehicle. If they needed food, we got the food. We've got a network of um, more than 16 community-led larders now. They're like shops. They're not food banks. Anybody can go in. So yeah. we're an enabling role. The over 30 community-led action plans, people leading their own business. And, and cost of living, you know, the, the most kind of relevant right now, you know, within we, with, by, by December, we had set up a network of over 60 places where people could just go. And they're not heat banks. We wouldn't call it that. Anybody can go. So churches, yeah. community centres, community asset transfers, libraries, you can go and get a cup of tea, you can get a game of bingo, you can meet people, there's community cinema. So yeah. the currency we have in communities is so important and communities tell us what they need and want and we try to respond to make that happen as long as it's legal. <laughs> and so a very important part of communities are the social enterprises and charities that exist within communities and and I know in, in East Ayrshire you've got a pretty rich rich tapestry of social enterprises and charities delivering services and working alongside the council and communities. Can can you describe how that works? Yeah, I think for me I could talk about this for a long time and I know we have limited time. So you know I've been reflecting <laughs> on it. Or you know what I would say that the amazing thing about that sector is innovation. You know, we've got we've got CVO and other things you'd expect and a great network of, of, of kind of charities and but a lot of them have come from communities. So a lot of our community groups got themselves registered with Oscar and became charities. So it's, they're not so they're not people with paid staff, some of them. 
But yeah. one of two things I wanted to highlight around this. One was centre stage, um, you know, um, Ayrshire's Arts Academy, and mm. they, t- they took on our biggest asset transfer, which was Kilmarnock Academy. It sits at the back of the Grand Hall Palace Theatre, up on the top of the hill. Brilliant big sandstone, red sandstone building, a bit like Hogwarts. They yes. On, and they've, you know, they, they were established quite a long time ago. They were established back in um, 2016, I think. And they've been doing amazing work. It's not just about um, theatre. It's such an inclusive place. You know, they, they're absolutely about hope and inclusion and, and it's inspiring people. And so they used to work out of a kind of business unit down, you know, a kind of, but now they've moved into that building. And what a place it is. You know, there's a yeah. theatre there, but you can learn to play ukulele. There's a place where you can get therapy. And they've introduced in one of the floors a thing called the streets, where a lot of local um, kind of charities and social enterprises are based now, and all connect yeah. together with the same values. And you know, they blow me away every day because they're they're blurring the lines between public sector and service. So they they deliver some services better than we ever would, but they are absolutely interface as well between communities. And they use arts and and culture as a medium. But they do so much more than that. So that that's an example of a really innovative one-off type of thing that's grown. Like Topsy, Fiona McKenzie um, leads that. She was the founder, and she she's leading it still and has has grown it exponentially, and it really impacts on people. Yeah. So there's a number of you know I could really mention a lot of different um, areas that would be important there. But that's an example. Yeah, I have to say you mentioned Hogwarts there. I, I've always assumed that. Hogwarts was in Scotland. I don't know about if they ever say that, but I've always assumed that. So maybe it is Hogwarts. Um, just on social enterprises and, and the third sector, I've always thought, and I, I, I've always found working with councils that councils who have a really well developed third sector, their communities are very resilient because you've got organizations in the communities that might have a core contract with the council to do something, but they always look to do more. Whereas a traditional private sector contract will do what it's contracted to do and maybe to try and tick a few social value boxes, but they're never really ever embedded properly within, within communities. Now that's probably quite controversial, but that's, that's what I've found. Yeah. I mean, for me that, you know, that, and I suppose this is, you know, to have a professional opinion, a personal opinion. But I think it's so important that people that work in public service and serve communities have the right values. And yeah. some private sector could have those right values, but we'd need to make sure that they were showing us that they had those values. And there's yeah. ways to help them to have those values because, you know, a great example is when we commission with the private sector for, for different things, we work with them for, you know, to have social benefit. And, you know, what does that look like here? Well, you've heard about that before, but actually here we've said, well, no, we want you to buy defibrillators for our communities. And if you do, you know, so we've now got a whole network, I think there's over 30 defibrillators right across East Ayrshire that the private sector have funded that the communities run. And we're yeah. looking to do more of that kind of work. So it's all tangibles. But actually, yeah, I think for me that if you're going to be providing services, you absolutely have to have the right values to serve and to serve people. And, you know, our Women's Aid is a great example here. When we used to have, they were part, you used to get a grant from the council and there was a service level agreement and year on year, every two years, and there was a real instability. But Women's Aid is such an important area around violence against women. And back in 2019, colleagues in procurement and my colleagues in health and social care said, look, we could do this better. And worked with Women's Aid to develop a better spec and worked with them to, to give them a direct award to, to, to run that and involve mm. the women 
using the service and making sure it was the right service. And that's now, I mean, that, that kind of commissioning comes out of some of the work that was done around the, the review of the Feely Commission and around human rights approaches to commissioning, that the people that, that receive services should be part of it. And that now we have stability for our women's aid and, you know, where our staff turnover is low because people aren't waiting for funding to run out to leave, but the women get the services they want. They've specified them. Yeah. yeah very interesting. Very interesting. Thank you. Um, I, w- I want to ask you a little bit about leadership now so you mentioned that you'd been a sports coach so i'm really interested in reading reading books and and biographies about sports coaches because i think there's a huge amount that you can take from how how you coach uh, a really talented team on the sports field and how you actually then lead a really talented team in any organization and i'm just wondering if that has driven how you lead within the council yeah absolutely i think for me you know at the early doors that absolutely influenced me because i'd create coaches and then i became a coach and my my kind of knowledge of coaching has become much more mature i got an executive coach when i was head of housing and communities i wasn't mad about doing it. it was part of a kind of corporate thing to help me to be better we all had to do that and have these 360 degrees um, and I got an amazing coach called Bridget Russell, and, and I picked her because I thought she'd be wee and Irish, but hey, she wasn't. She was tall and quite poor. She'll be watching this and laughing. <laughs> but she was incredible because she made me reflect in my practice about how, you know, I had natural styles, and, and but also I could be even better by flexing that. So that experience has led me to embed coaching as part of the council's transformation. So all of our housing officers and a range of other professionals have been trained as neighbourhood coaches. So basically, they work now in strength-based ways with the people they serve. So they don't go out looking to collect rent and check things, but they talk to people about how they're feeling. And again, this isn't rocket science. It reduces demand. It respects the people we serve, but also Mm. releases their potential. And we now have leader as coach where we're now training our senior leaders alongside senior leaders in the police and fire and health. So that the, 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 the journey around public service reform doesn't stop at a silo of an organisation. And even my guys that go out to fix the boilers, the plumbers, the carpenters, they've got the, they, they do the kind of caring coaching where when you fix Mrs. McLumford's boiler, you don't need to rush on to the next job. She wants you to have a cup of tea with her, have a cup of tea and talk That's to her. That's really how she interesting. Do you know That's what really interesting, yeah. Brilliant. And, make, and you know, so we've done this at scale in our council. And what it's led to is less need for people to be directive much more about people being empowered to do the very best job that they can, but also people having a happier, better job. Because, again, so, back to Harry Burns, they've got determination over their lives. Yeah. It feels like you're, you're using the term coaching there in a more flexible way than maybe formal executive coaching, which is more about just asking questions and things, you know, because when you think of sports coaching, I can't imagine Alex Ferguson sits down with players and, resists making suggestions as to what they should do. So <laughs> um. no, absolutely. I think as well, you know, I, I'm actually completing the formal accredited um, exec coaching just now. It's been a big learning thing. I, I sit in my hands a lot. I keep being told not to be too yeah. mentally. But I think for me, you know, being a, being a leader over all these years is, you know, I, I probably would align myself, and this is going to be so funny and controversial, and I said it to my guys, a bit like Simon Cowell, I can see talent, I can see potential yeah. in people when they haven't seen it themselves. And then actually allowing that person to grow and develop and be their very best self, that has been the most rewarding part of my career. And some of those people have been away and promoted way beyond me now. 
but actually I'm not sure they would have seen their capabilities. And I think yeah. the environment that we work in is about everyone's got deep potential within them. And as coaches and leaders, our jobs to get that. If they do their best, they're more productive. If you're going to be ruthless, it'll cost yeah. the council less. But actually, most of our people live locally. Nearly 80% of people live locally. So if they're happier and they're doing a brilliant job for the communities they serve, they are the communities they serve. So it's that blurring of lines. So, no, to me, coaching's like talent ID, letting people recognise their skills and talents, and also been respectful enough to have a good debate about things, not all getting on, just getting told you're doing it Why? just because it's in the SLA, actually hearing people and respecting and you hear truth to power, that happens all the time in my organisation yeah. I would hate someone just to tell me what they, want, they wanted me to hear they tell me they challenge me and I challenge them and we get great results because of that challenge but it's respectful and trusting And, and there's something there as well about not being precious about who gets credit for things i think as well absolutely and do you know for me you know that this is the biggest laugh of all i i encourage my guys to enter the awards for the communities they serve i never go because i'm known as the jonah whenever i go to an award ceremony they never win so katie the jonah doesn't get to go but the, again the biggest part of my satisfaction in this role of deputy chief executive is seeing teams thriving and being nationally recognized and that bringing mm. good press to east ayrshire and people wanting to come and live and invest here and visit here so to me it's about a self-perpetuating cycle of strength it's not all pollyanna if i was talking to to hillary cotton yeah. she, she sometimes calls me pollyanna and we have a laugh about it and it's not rose-tinted spectacles but you have to focus on strengths because if all we focus on weaknesses, we'll only have temporary solutions. We need to look to the long term, look at the assets we have and make them live. I think that's yeah. our philosophy. So you mentioned uh, talking to Hilary Cotton there as though it was nothing. That's a wonderful connection that you have. So what what do you take from her writings and thinking? Radical Help, the, the, the book that she wrote, has inspired yeah, it's a great me. Book. She's fantastic, and I've spent time getting to know her. She spent time in East Ayrshire alongside the people that I serve and seeing some of this at first hand, but she didn't speak to the directors and people like that. She spent time with her parks guys, and she spent time with her home link workers, yeah. and she spent time with her communities, and she's been writing some of that up. And we share stories and we inspire each other, but I think. Hillary, you know, is is a, such an important figure in public service reform. We, we all need to take on board what she's saying because if we don't, things are going to be, we won't be part of our own destiny. She talks with passion about beverage and about what happened around NHS and public service post-war, but she really feels there needs to be a new blueprint for change. And blueprint, I totally agree with. My worry is we're too busy keeping the hamster wheel running and just accepting our lot, that we actually need to step to the side and take some time to look at what people need and want from us in the 21st century and redefine public service like some of I've described today is about people and place and love of place and I yeah. think it's got so much to tell us about how we might do that. Fantastic. Um, Katie, I want to, to ask you a slightly different question from what I normally ask to close out the conversation is what inspires you what gives you strength where do you go to to get the energy and the kind of inspiration that you need to do your job there's two answers to that and the first answer is i become more energized and most energized when i spend time with the people i serve 
So, yeah. you know, a couple of weeks ago, I went out to the launch of a second edition of an action plan in Luger, Logan and Cronbury. So it's the three communities that have come together. And I sat in the audience and the community told me all that they'd achieved. And there was kids playing the bagpipes. There was kids reciting Burns poetry. There was an incredible lady that made a whole heritage centre at the church and brought all these things together in a bowling club, quite a rural place. And I came away from there with empowered to know that we were in the right place. It, it gave me that touch base. And I suppose in my own time, I had a, a very much um, a, a strong faith. So, you know, I'm very much, I, I believe in God and, and I have strong faith. I'm currently doing the spiritual exercise of St. Ignatius. It's something I've been wanting to do for years and years. And okay. that helps me to find an, an, an inner kind of strength to continue. Yeah. But the people I serve and also the incredible team that I have, you know, sometimes if I'm a bit low, I'll need to speak to, to Blair Miller, the head house and communities, or some people that have retired, and they, they boost me again because we remind each other that we're doing this for the right reasons. We all need somewhere to find that strength, and just what you're saying there about you getting it from being in communities and seeing what's happening, just talking to you today i completely believe that it would be a very easy answer for people to give but with you i can tell it's completely authentic kitty thank you so much for your time thank you so much for giving me this opportunity thank you i love that conversation you could probably tell i think katie's an incredibly engaging person and like i said in the introduction we need more people with katie's attitude and katie's energy really as to what can be achieved through a council, what a council can support communities to achieve more to the point. So a couple of things in particular I wanted to highlight. The first is that programme of community asset transfer that East Ayrshire went through. I thought that was a really interesting model and key to it seems to be that sliding scale of ownership that was available. So it wasn't just a complete transfer or disposal or nothing. There were a variety of options from managing the asset all the way through to owning it in its entirety. So I think it's a really successful model and one that the rest of the country can certainly learn from. The second thing I wanted to highlight was how East Ayrshire clearly has a culture of trusting communities and community organisations. And the fact that you've got to have a history and years under the belt of doing this so that when a crisis hits like the pandemic over the last couple of years, those community organizations are equipped and well rehearsed and practiced that they can start supporting people. You can't expect organizations just to pop out of thin air when they're needed. They have to have a history of getting the relationships locally and working with the council over a period of time. And I think East Ayrshire really demonstrates the value of putting in that effort to build relationships with community organisations and to support those organisations. And finally, just a quick word on Katie's leadership style. She talked about being a sports coach. I would love to be on a team coached by Katie. I really would. Um, but it was great to hear how she used that experience and the lessons that she learned from coaching high-performing athletes and has brought that into her current role and her leadership style within the council. I think there's a huge amount to be learned from different styles of leadership and different areas of leadership. And at the end of the day, we're human beings trying to lead other human beings. And a lot of the fundamentals are the same, whatever discipline you're operating in or whatever field you're operating in. 
So that's everything for this episode. Many thanks for your time and please follow us wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss a future episode. 